But he said, Alex, you're a follower. You just do what everybody else says to do. And there was just a part of me that just got so angry as a six-year-old, even though I had no idea what that meant. But even more importantly, how do you actually lead as a, excuse me, operate as a leader so that your organization, whether it's a sports team or for me, I work with a lot of small businesses there, that it aligns with who you are, what your vision is, so you don't have to hustle and grind. There are many reasons why you started your business or are thinking about starting one. Independence, financial freedom, a side hustle to bring in more cash. The fact that you took initiative to start a business shows that you're a born leader. In this episode, Alex Kuhn and I unpack how to bring out and tune your natural leadership skills. Welcome, Alex Kuhn. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. How about yourself? Very good. Thank you so much. You know, one of the topics that uh, a lot of startups and small businesses and, and entrepreneurs face is something that you're pretty skilled at. And I'd love for you to just share a couple of minutes about your background uh, and we can talk about um, leadership and, you know, really bringing out the star that's within everybody. So, so maybe just a couple of quick minutes of, about your background. Yeah, I believe everybody that's listening to this podcast, and just first and foremost, thank you for having me on. I, I really believe everybody that's listening to this podcast is truly born to lead. And I know that everybody that's here has a story that maybe they can remember they were you know, as young as I was when I remember my first time that I was born to lead. And I was six years old. My dad and I have a great relationship. I know we spoke about this off air about, you know, our families and how close we are to them. And I can remember my dad, you know, just we were sitting in the car and we were just kind of joking with each other, a little bit of razzing each other. And my dad said these faithful words that for some reason, even six-year-old Alex, me, didn't know why. I didn't know why I got upset. But he said, Alex, you're a follower. You just do what everybody else says to do. And there was just a part of me that just got so angry as a six-year-old, even though I had no idea yeah what that meant. Yeah. And, you know, obviously fast forward today, um, you know, obviously I own an organization called Born to Lead, but my, my background is, is very unique. Every position I ever took, whether it was the first job out of college where I could have been in a, a big management training company and making six figures or taking the assistant coaching swim position that's making 10K a year in Iowa, of course I took the Iowa position. You know, there's always been something that's like I've gravitated toward this idea, like what does it take to not just be a leader, but even more importantly, how do you actually lead as a excuse me operate as a leader so that your organization whether it's a sports team or for me I work with a lot of small businesses there that it aligns with who you are what's your vision is so you don't have to hustle and grind so you can truly do what you were put on this planet to do which is to serve which whether it's clients whether it's your team and ultimately make a better product program for others and so you know gratefully we work with over 300 clients all over the world doing just that whether they're coaches or consultants whether they're in IT or health but at the end of the day I'm just grateful to work with so many people that have said yes to themselves in terms of how they actually want to show up on this planet you know it's it's, it's interesting how you say that how you want to show up on this planet because you know that's oftentimes what it is it's that little bit of a mind shift that really just takes you from wanting to just start this company you know you've got this idea I mean, I remember when I started. So I've built a handful of companies, very fortunate that I've had some good successes, sold mine to publicly traded companies. And I remember when I started, I, I did not know what I was doing. And it was, um, you know, I would go to the library 
every three weeks, you know, back when, like, I guess the web wasn't as popular when I first started my first company, but uh, I'd go to the library, I'd get my, my card out, and I'd go to the business section, and I'd check out these books by David Ogilvy on advertising, someone else on marketing, and I would go back and I'd read as much as I could in those three weeks that I had the book for, and then I'd have to go back, and then I'd check out another three books, and it got to the point where I was like, hey, you know, I think I can do this. I think I can do this, but it took a while for me to feel like I really could. Yeah. Um, and and so tell me, when when you talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, people who've just started businesses, people are running small companies, sometimes there's this feeling that, okay, I haven't been in that leadership role. What do I need to do? Is there something I'm missing? Is there something I need to start like thinking differently about? What are some of the common things that you that you see? One of the first steps I always ask every business owner, regardless of if they've been in business for decades, whether they were just starting out, is very simply, I love to tell them these stories about how if you look at some of these companies, there are so many companies out there that, you know, from a pure business perspective are run very poorly. They're inefficient. They don't have systems. They don't have the SOPs. They don't have budgets. They don't have all the different cash flow things figured out. And yet they're thriving versus those that actually have incredible business, incredible efficiencies, incredible SOPs, and yet they're struggling. There may be mm -hmm. even to the point where they're almost thinking about, should we keep going? And so mm -hmm. it always comes down to this is that when we talk about this leader, regardless if you're starting as a leader, whether it's your startup business or you've been in there for 10 years, I believe that in two weeks, you can actually make a subtle but so powerful shift to truly define a more simplified direction, mm -hmm. to truly define who are the who's, whether it's team or clients, and to simply say, this is what we are going to be known for. This is, it's not about our values or our core values, but simply say, this is what we are going to be putting out there that we can be the best at, or we're going to work towards being the best at in the world. And it's amazing how, and you've probably seen this with all the companies you've built there, Raj, that, you know, it always goes back to just kind of getting the the oars, getting the boats, getting the car steering in the right direction and getting everybody on board there, regardless if it's your internal team or your external team. And that to me is why leadership is so integral, it is the meta skill, it's the meta beast of every organization that actually can help it rise very quickly or fall, quite frankly, very quickly as well. Two weeks, that sounds ambitious, right? So tell me, what would you do in two weeks to start feeling like you can really make your business very successful? What are yeah. the first steps that someone should be thinking about? Yeah, I'm, most of the people that are probably listening on here are, I know, are founders, um, people that really are, you know, they're coming from a place of courage and honesty and saying, I feel like there's a better way to do business. I feel like there's a better way to serve clients. I feel like there's a better way. Or quite frankly, you just have the conviction to say, hey, I want to go out on my own and do something on my own. And I really believe that's actually the first state that most organizations that time and time again, when we talk about systems, we talk about structures, we talk about marketing, sales or product or services or the financial department there that really at the end of the day the very simple question is this is does the business usually die first or does the leader usually tap out first and my experience is telling me that the leader usually taps out first so the first question i would have is how is the organization serving you as the founder, as the leader? Is it aligning with your talents and strengths? Is it aligning with your vision? Is it aligning with how you want to show up on this planet? Because at the end of the day, for most organizations, until they get out of the phase where they actually don't have to be in the business, quite frankly, the business is relying upon them. So it better serve you, not just in terms of a monetary perspective, which obviously is very important, but simply a fulfilling perspective. 
How many hours are you going to work in that business? And if you're not feeling fulfilled by the business, regardless if it's in the right vision or the right skill set there, ultimately you usually tap out first. That's usually where I start with them. Then the next piece where we really go to, and I've heard this, I know people probably heard this word, and so hopefully I can kind of define it a little bit easier, but very simply is culture. And being the background as a college swim coach, to me I know culture is really truly getting all parties to work together as one. And parties in the business doesn't mean your internal team. Some people in here might be solopreneurs and they're on their own, but your clients are part of your team. They are sharing your message with their friends, with their peers, with their loved ones there. So you want to actually make sure they are part of that culture as well. And culture is actually not much about mission statements or core values, but very simply, what is the direction as an organization you and you're taking your constituents through? Very simply, what are the identity? What is the thing and common theme that connects us together? And then finally, what's the unfair advantage? What is that one thing you're gonna really focus on and tap into to the point where you actually make it so unfair that no matter what anybody does, it's gonna be very hard to compete with them. But time and time again, within two weeks, those are the first things that we do for most small businesses. And it's amazing how sometimes they're like, well, what about marketing? What about this? What about that? A lot of the things we work in those two sessions very much flow into the rest of the business as well. You know, the culture piece is very overlooked. Even for single-person businesses, small companies, culture is so critical. And I'm reminded of this story uh, that I shared a while back. It's uh, something that Herb Keller, he was the founder of Southwest Airlines, did. He got a, you know, Southwest got this reputation for being fun, happy, a little joking on their flights. And so one of the flight attendants was, was I think they were doing something that was kind of funny on the plane. And, uh, and a passenger took issue with that. He actually, she, she wrote a customer uh, letter to uh, Herb Keller and said, I didn't really appreciate all that stuff. You know, I just want to be, I just want to know what's going on. So, and threatened to actually stop flying the airlines if he didn't talk to the customer support people there. So Herb wrote them, wrote this lady a note and he said, we'll miss you. Yeah, I mean, that really speaks mm. volumes, yeah. volumes for the customers, uh, for the for the culture that he wanted to create because he was he was not willing to compromise. He knew that people gravitated toward his business, his employees gravitated toward the business because of the fun environment that they created. So you're right. Culture is not just a mission statement. It's really how you behave throughout your entire interactions with your teams and with your customers. So I find that that's a really uh, critical step. What are some of the things that that the small business can do to start like shining a light on uh, those three key key factors? Well, even just talking about that story, I I, I actually it even reminds me of another story too, where uh, the founder of Zappos, you know, he was I was at this event and he was speaking to everybody, and Zappos said. I think it's back in 2011, 2012, you know, was considered the gold standard for customer service. And yeah. whether this was set up or not, I have no idea, but I'm just going to assume this is exactly how his customer service agents did it. And so, yeah. you know, somebody challenged him, you know, go question. And they said like, so, so you're saying your customer agents will actually help us with any sort of situations, even though you guys are a shoe company. And he said, yeah. absolutely. They will. And he's like, here, 
go ahead, go ahead and call them. And he brought this person on stage and this person went and called. And the person said, I'd like to go ahead and buy an orange. I want some oranges there. And they're like, oh, we don't really sell oranges there. But tell me where you are. And this agent spent about 15 minutes with this person, helping them find the closest grocery store to see if they would deliver this orange to them. What kind mm -hmm. of orange? Blood orange. And it just kind of instilled this idea that, you know, it it runs deeper than just, like you said, mission statements. It runs deeper in terms of just how people act. And when you kind of, we, you know, kind of getting back into that, answer that question, I think that you said it so beautifully. It's that, are you willing to actually say no to certain people so you can actually say yes to the right people? That to me mm -hmm. is the aspect of any culture. It very simply is, is actually asking yourself to take a stance in the marketplace and asking your clients and or internal team to take a stance. Meaning that if somebody hears it, do they instantly know that is where I need to be and I need to learn more about it? Or is that a place that says, you know what, it just something feels off and something you know is missing and that's okay, either one. But as the leader, you better have that clarity, connection and conviction for what your culture is all about and know instantly. And I always call, we talk about this five minute rule. Can you get on the phone with somebody and within five minutes, know very clearly with just a couple questions if they're gonna actually fit in your culture or not and be able to make that decision. It sounds like judgment, but really it simply means this, is that you're actually allowing that person to find the place they can be successful, even if it's not in your organization. You know, Alex, when I first started my my company, the very first one, it was a consulting company. And, you know, while I've had, I guess, three three larger companies, I had started a couple of smaller ones. And so this was a consulting company where I would have a handful of clients. And when I was first starting, I think my mindset was just get business, mm. any kind of client. And I found myself uh, taking business from people I probably shouldn't have taken business from, you know, because it, it ended up becoming a distraction and going down rabbit holes with people, spending a lot of time. And then, you, you know, you wake up a couple of years later, you've got this small consulting company. You're doing all kinds of different work sort of related to your overall topic. For mine, it was Internet related services, um, web design, stuff like that. But you, our client base was so dispersed that, you know, we'd have a nonprofit, then we'd have a law firm, then we'd have something else. And I realized, you know, what I really needed to do was focus. And when I started to, to feel, oh, these are like these little techniques I could do, well, just specialize in one particular thing, I ended up getting more business. Yeah. And I think some of the things that leaders, new leaders, um, and especially emerging companies uh, overlook is, oh, what, you know, it's not just like my mindset. It's also, I got to make sure I'm not just taking any kind of business because that's actually going to hurt me in the long run. Uh, do you see uh, your clients or other other leaders making those types of mistakes too? And what can someone do uh, to overcome that part? This is my my tough love moment, and I'll tell you even my personal story of this. But if you you got to ask yourself, are you actually make decisions that's the best for you and the person you want to serve, or are you actually making decisions based on the ego that's driving you forward? And mm -hmm. I can remember the company I sold back in two thousand, my company back in two thousand eighteen. You know, when I started it, you know, it grew to about fifty million dollars. I mean, it was getting all this different press and publicity there, and being the CEO, right? It it opened up all these different doors, but I can tell you I was miserable. I can tell you I was going home at night and just to the point where some nights I was crying myself to sleep. And because I was feeding this ego of I wanted to be the big time CEO, I wanted to be the big time individual, I wanted to have the accolades and different things. And so, you know, when this idea of like, I need to 
feel this need to serve everybody and anybody, you know, one of the first things and why I talk so much about leadership is why do you feel that need? Where is that coming from? And I know a lot of the internal work I personally came from was that, you know, I was just always a people pleaser. I was always trying to find a way to please people, to please others, to, to find love. And as weird as that sounds to say in the business, you know, there's so much of this invisible current that most business owners and founders are being driven by. Like, what is it about success that really inspires you? So while I can actually sit here and give you really the simplest answer, which is very simply is that, hey, when you are good at something, ultimately people are looking for that specialty. And like anybody, when you have a specialty, that is actually gonna be much easier to sell, much easier to buy, and quite frankly, it's gonna be much easier to manage from so many factors. But I wanted to go in a different direction because I think that your audience here, just knowing you, Raj, there's, there's a heart. You know, there's a heart to what they are doing and why they're doing it. So just understanding that when you actually get down to what you're actually growing your business, don't, I mean, don't be wrong. I think Raj, you and I both know that there's very easy ways to get to seven figures and eight figures or, and even nine figures in the business there, but really making sure that you're doing it from a place that's going to be more fulfilling from you outside of those working hours, as much as they're going to be inside those working hours. Yeah. You know, I've got a story of my refrigerator repairman. So I had uh, this guy come and repair my refrigerator one time and he was able to fix everything in one shot. And I was like, well, that was pretty good because most people, when they repair appliances, they've got to order the appliance. Then you're waiting a couple of weeks for that to come in. Meanwhile, all the ice cream's melted, you know? So, <laughs> so I was like, well, how did you know to stock this? And he goes, oh, several years ago, I shifted my business. I used to repair all kinds of appliances. And I realized that if I looked at my most profitable uh, engagements, it was for this one particular brand of refrigerators. And it turns out, and I live in a, in a large metropolitan area, there are a lot of people that own this particular brand of refrigerators. So he stopped carrying all kinds of other stuff on his truck. He mm -hmm. only carried common parts to this brand's refrigerators, which were used in many of their models. So instead of now taking two trips to go fix a, a, a repair, he can usually do it in one customers are happier. He's actually now become the guy for this brand of refrigerators in the, in the DC awesome. metropolitan area. And so it's, it's so interesting. His business actually flourished. He's making, you know, I think him individually is making well into the six figures for a repair business that he basically runs lower stress because he doesn't have to worry about when a part's going to arrive or so on. And, uh, and he's got a thriving business just because he ended up focusing and saying no. And I think that's one of the things I will say is a skill that takes a long time to develop. I know it, it took me years to develop as a leader, the skill to say no. Yeah. Yeah. I I have to go back to, you know, if, for those of you that are athletes, you know, we know, you know, whether you're football, soccer, whatever sport it is, right? I mean, at some point you knew that when you saw, whether it was you or a friend of yours that was getting, you know, extra coaching or extra training, it wasn't just to have another coach. It was a specialist, right? It was the specialist who could work with quarterbacks or it was a specialist in, in swimming who could work with sprint freestylers. And mm -hmm. it's amazing how, like you said, it's it takes us so much time i always talk about this hourglass there's almost this like kind of fact of like you know we start like general because we feel like that just makes sense it only seems rational to be more open and more available to more people because why would you want to limit yourself but if you think about just purely from a psychology perspective nobody thinks that way nobody actually uh, seems that way when we've got a problem we've got a problem that ends up being very consuming. 
to us there. And I love that you use the example because, you know, yesterday I was just talking about my, my seven month old daughter, right? What consumed me? It wasn't, oh my gosh, how am I going to grow my business? Or, oh my gosh, how am I going to uh, train my team? Or, oh my gosh, like, you know, what are we going to do for dinner? My daughter, seven months old, has an ear infection. So 101, I'm going to the doctor. I'm going mm -hmm. to our pediatrician, right? That's who I'm thinking about. And I think it's just a, a great story you shared just even about the refrigerator, but just a reminder that we don't think that way. No, no customer thinks that way. They think simply about what matters to me right here, right now, and where can I go find it? And obviously the best part with internet is you can be found pretty quickly. Yeah. You know, in terms of like leading uh, uh, companies, um, you know, you've, you've been a coach for athletes. I think there's a lot of similarities in terms of how you can motivate teams, get them to work together uh, from, um, you know, the perspective of a coach of an athletic team as, uh, and, and a lot of those lessons apply to, um, uh, to coaching in the real world. Because in my experience, being a leader in your company, being the CEO, the CXO, whatever, whatever role you've got, you are a coach. And it's almost like you're a coach first, because right. if you've got a team, it's not just vision setting, direction setting, things like that, which your team should actually help you with. Um, I think it's really making sure that you're caring about your team members so that they perform higher. Can you share a couple of stories about um, things that, that people can do to identify the, I'm going to say hot buttons for their team members that like, wow, if I just did this, this person could potentially perform better. Do you have some stories you could share about that? Uh, I got some stories and I'll give you actually uh, two words that, you know, when we think about this idea of leading that everybody, every time you ask somebody, like think about your, your favorite leader, it could have been a coach, right? It could have been a teacher, it could be your parent. You know, what do you remember about that person? And it's the same thing time and time again. Well, they, they believed in me or they, they made things easier for me. And when we come to this idea of leading, why I think it's also such a beautiful art and science is that you can actually start leading. That's why I talk about two weeks with just very simply two words is one, what are the insights that you're going to provide your staff? Or two, what's the inspiration you're going to provide? And once you actually start to discover that, what you actually start to discover is that you kind of keep saying the same insight and the same inspiration message again and again and again. And that creates consistency. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're an authoritative leader. It doesn't matter if you're an uh, inspirational, you know, Tony Robbins-esque leader. What people really want is they want to know the leader is going to show up fairly consistency day in, day out saying the same message in the same way that it actually resonates. I, and I got a great story actually about, um, actually just tell you about a client just actually got off the call with there. Um, her name is Bri. And so she is somebody who actually was a nurse for many, many years. And so part of her heart and her soul is always very simply about, I, I want to heal. I want to heal people. I want to help people. That's just part of her DNA. And when she got into our world, you know, kind of like many startups, you know, what, what's the motivation for you? Oh, I want I want more time. I want more freedom. I want to work on my own. I, I don't want to be stuck in, you know, the hospital, you know, as much time there. And I'm going to fast forward here about 12 months. And you know, now she's working with hundreds and hundreds of nurses all over the world and helping these nurses actually get inside of healthcare to actually change the system from leadership rules. Now, this was a person who didn't have that mission or that message or that movement but ultimately the more that we actually just saying what feels right to you what's the message you want to get back to ultimately it always came back to saying i don't want to work as a nurse 
but I want to work with nurses. And that was kind of the kept recurring theme in terms of her insight. And her inspiration was always just simply saying, how do we actually continue the change healthcare? How do I continue the change healthcare? That's what inspires me. This is who I want to work with. What can I design to actually serve those two aspects of my heart and my mind? It's a great, to me, it's just one of those reminders that, you know, at the end of the day, we can't just start, we can't just work with our head and we can't just work with our heart, right? We got to have some focus and we got to have some energy. And when you can actually combine the two together, the work coherently and cognitively together, it makes a world of difference in terms of actually how people resonate and hear your message. Yeah. Yeah. I think touching someone's heart is really important. In fact, um, I, I find that in business, the way you connect with your customers as well as your team uh, is by walking them through this journey, telling stories that will inspire them. And so, uh, in fact, you know, one of the big challenges I know that leaders are often faced with is how am I going to grow the company? How am I going to get new, new clients? That is probably one of the biggest things that new leaders, new businesses are trying to figure out, right? How am I going to find clients? Mm -hmm. And I found that if you use stories to explain to people something about your product, not features, but like the benefits and show mm -hmm. them this picture, paint this picture of how they could make their life better using your product or using your service. Uh, I think that seems to really, that seems to work way, way better. The moment you connect with someone's emotion. And so uh, I like that you said that, that it's uh, you know, about connecting with emotions. It's very important. Well, I agree with you. And you've probably seen this too. I mean, I know the stories you've told me about, you know, you grow in your companies. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, I mean, if you look at every... I mean, right, people with their websites. I mean, there's a reason we have this uh, website, you know, for testimonials, just like any other page there. But one thing we actually do is we call it our living, breathing document. That if you actually go to bornleaders.com slash testimonial, you'll see we keep adding video after video after video after video because it becomes part of actually how we run our SOP. So every time a client gets a win, every time a client gets an insight, we have a folder of probably, you know, I would say over a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand like examples of people writing things or videos. And we capture those things because we know that not only it breathes life into my team, right? When it's like, Hey, you're feeling down. This is why we're sending this email out. This is why you're fixing this website. Go back to that page there. But more importantly, it's because everybody's story is unique and you don't always know what story is going to resonate, whether it's with your client, or with your team member there. So I think it's just actually important regardless of what business you're running. And I think you're 100% right is keep capturing those stories because what you're doing is actually changing someone's life regardless of the type of work you're doing. Yeah. You know, I remember one of the, the businesses I uh, worked in, we were doing uh, sort of a, I guess it was a bit of a turnaround. And and so I'd come in uh, to lead about a third of the company is about a 200 person company. And I had several divisions reporting into me and they did not have a culture of storytelling inside the business. Oh. So I was trying to figure out like, how do I get people to collect stories? And so one of my uh, groups was the customer facing teams. And so I, I would tell them, Hey, next time you talk to a customer, see if you have any stories you can, you know, that, that they're going to be able to tell you about the product. And they, wasn't happening. So I'd go back to my one-on-one -on -one meetings like, hey, did you get any stories? Nope, no stories. <laughs> and so I'm like, okay, what do I do? So I'd arm them with specific questions. Uh, and if they asked these specific questions, stories would automatically come out. So what I did is I said, ask them this question next time you go discuss uh, our product with them. Tell me about the last time you logged into your account. What were you looking to do? Mm -hmm. And just stop and don't say anything. That was the hardest part, right? 
we like talking, but getting us to do cover your mouth, you know, like to, to stop talking is hard, but they did it. Mm-hmm. And so it was really funny because two weeks later, I come back to my one-on-one meetings and Raj, Raj, I think I got a great story. I asked this question and they told me about this wonderful experience that they got and raised so much money. It was for fundraising software and they raised so much money and we were able to articulate that in a way that would make sense for a lot of our other clients. And so Leadership, I've found, is sometimes, you know, just figuring out what can motivate somebody. I mean, the look on um, my team member's face when she was able to capture the story is worth gold. <laughs> it's worth gold because she knew not only did um, the story provide value for the company and the marketing team and our ability to get more customers, she felt really good about being able to deliver something too. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's just all kinds of ways. Uh, and the big thing is, as a leader, you got to listen more than you talk mm-hmm. and just like stay quiet and allow your team to, to have these conversations. One of the other techniques I, I use uh, is I connect with people on a non-work related level. I shouldn't say non-work related. What I mean is we all oftentimes will have one-on-one meetings that say uh, that are all about the projects at hand, you know, our weekly touch bases. Hey, what's, what are we doing with this client? What are we doing with this, uh, this new feature? Um, How's our inventory? Whatever your, your 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 main role is, but what we rarely do is we talk about the human being that is part of our team in terms of their ambition, their goals. What do they want out of life? Mm-hmm. And so what I what I found very effective was once a quarter to have a meeting that's not about the projects at hand, but a meeting about where they want to be professionally. Mm. And I would ask questions like, um, "Hey, so tell me about." is there a certification you wish you had? Is there some kind of skill that you want to acquire in the next 12 months, 24 months? And the the other question I use is, let's say you and I are having lunch in 10 years. And I always pick 10 years because that's so far out Mm -hmm. that it allows them to give up what they're thinking in their head right now about projects and allows them to dream. And it also gives them the comfort that they don't have to say they're still with the company because 10 years out's a long time out, right? So they don't feel like there's this obligation that, well, I'd like to be leading this team in our, you know, they can just talk to me very openly and very freely. So the question again is, let's say you and I are having lunch in 10 years. What are we talking about? What are you sharing with me about your life? And that allows people to really open up and just tell me, yeah, you know, I'm the CMO of a 500 person organization. And I'm like, hey, that's great. What do you think you need to do to get the skill set and the experience to get there? Mm-hmm. And then we try to create this path so that during the time that they're with our company, we can actually put projects in front of them that get them really excited and jazzed. And you know what happens, Alex? Most of the time, they're still with our company in five years, in seven years, because yeah. we're creating these opportunities. Yeah. So, yeah, that's I love one that. of the techniques that, that I've, I've found effective. How, how about you? I love that story. And the reason why I love that story is it reminds me, and I wish I knew who said this quote, maybe you know this quote, but it's one that we use all the time. And it's actually part of our interviewing process that if you want somebody to help make your dreams come true, you better figure out a way to make somebody else's dreams come true. And then, you know, it's it, I, I'll tell you actually a short story reminds me of. So uh, during COVID, uh, my wife was working, I'm working, you know, we've got two kids. We're like, Daycares keeps getting shut down because you know mm-hmm. somebody comes in with COVID. We're like we've got to find we've got to find somebody to come in and just basically watch our kids at house there. We just cannot do it. Keep going down this road. And so, you know, we were interviewing somebody to kind of be our your know, in house nanny, and 
you know, we, it was just like a 15 minute, just intro call. You know, we had like six lined up that day and, you know, we we're just talking to this, this, this nice young woman. And, you know, she's, you know, she just graduated from college and you know, she wanted to use her child's psychology degree, et cetera. And, you know, just before she goes, I just said, Hey, I, I'm just curious, you know, I said, listen, I'm sure, you know, you're not going to want to be just working in our house forever. So I just really want to know what, what your goal is and what your dream is. And I can just remember this, this young woman started crying because she's like, I've been interviewed by 10 people over the past week. And you're the only person that asked me a question about me. Mm. And I, I'd love to say you're saying we hired her and all this, but that, we <laughs> so, yeah. but I think it's just this, you know, you can actually just simply by asking a question, it's not about, you know, them being your company or them signing up for a client, but man, you can just have such an impact by truly just asking a question that has no bearing on you, it has nothing to do with you. It simply is mm -hmm. all about them because let's be real. Most people aren't asked questions. It's, there's a little bit of a me culture that simply leaving, simply standing out, simply actually asking people about them, just it lights their day up, it lights their week up, it lights their life up. And quite frankly, you might have an impact that you may never see, but quite frankly, it might change their course. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, I'm reminded of another uh, time when I knew this one CEO who would he just wanted everybody in swim lanes. You're responsible for this, you're responsible for that, and so on. I did not want any overlap. And I always struggle with that personally because I find that uh, that's that's very limiting. And um, my response to that is that there are people inside your company who know why a client didn't renew. They know why a client didn't sign up, mm -hmm. but they have never been asked yeah. because it's not in their swim lane and they didn't feel comfortable enough. They didn't feel like they were in the safe space that they could ask. So as a leader, I think it's really important to have this regular follow-up with your team members that are facing customers especially, um, and just ask them, hey, what have you heard from our clients today? What did you hear from them this week? Um, you know, there's a, a little story I had with a, a restaurant um, I went to. And I love chicken sandwiches, always love them. And so I went to this restaurant and they serve grilled chicken platters, but not sandwiches, but they have this really nice burger menu. And I said, oh, hey, can you just substitute one of the burgers with the chicken? And they're like, oh, I'm sorry, we don't do that, sir. Like, <laughs> Why not? Well, you know, we hear a lot of people asking about it, but uh, our, our manager just doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. I said, really, you hear a lot of people asking about that. And I was just thinking, like, oh, my God, this restaurant's going to go out of business, not because they're not serving chicken sandwiches, but mm -hmm. because their management isn't listening to their, their team members who are frontline with their customers. And so, you know, when you think about leading, there's, it is really about keeping your ears open, mm -hmm. not just to what your customers are telling you, but what your customers are telling your other t team members and then so you've got to get that information from them as well. Yeah. yeah. I, I use the word invisible current before, and I think all of us in business have heard this word flow. You know, and 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 so many definitions have come from it there in so many different ways. But you know, just even thinking it from a leadership perspective, you know, one of the things I think time and time again, whether it's your internal team or your client team, right? I think an expectation now is that there is a sense of community. This idea that people can just interact, they have a bond, whether it's because they're in the same program or they're part of the same company or because they share the same interests. I think communities basically become, you know, just like the text messaging on a phone, right? We expect it on every single phone at this point. And something about community, I think you're kind of resonating with me is, is that, you know, you can try to swim in your own lane as much as you want. And I appreciate the idea of focus, but, you know, genius comes from collaboration. Genius comes from 
conversation. You know, this is something that I see it all the time. And for those of you that have communities or maybe in the service-based business, I think this is actually a competitive advantage. Quite frankly, I think most of you could take when you're actually talking with your clients. And very simply, we always talk about our clients because our, our programs are, are premium. You know, we provide a lot. And obviously, there's a cost to that as well. And we understand that. But most of our clients will actually tell you they make their money back because of the community in terms of the collaboration, the conversations, and the partnerships, and the referrals. And yet I see so many of these communities, whether it's like you said, an internal business, they, they put these major guidelines on it. Like you can't cross this lane or you're not allowed to, um, you know, basically try to do business in here. And I think what happens then is, is that you're basically not creating safety and everything about a culture, everything about humanity tells us this is that if somebody doesn't feel safe, they don't have the opportunity to grow as far as they can be. So kind of trying to find ways to feel safe. And I think that's what you're talking about. It's like when people feel like they can't do it, they're not safe because they are worried about their job. They're worried about getting kicked out or whatever the reason is. So yeah. you're right. Yeah. Well, we talked about a handful of techniques that people can use to lead their companies. Uh, I'm curious what you see as the biggest stumbling blocks. What gets in the way? Mm. Oh man, everyone has, there's so many answers, but there's one actually that I think, I mean, to me, I think really at the end of the day, I think it's a rudderless leader. I think that's one of the first things, and I know we've talked about that. I think the second thing is, is that they're trying to do everything as opposed to what they're actually really good at. But there's a third one that I actually want to touch on, and that is capacity. And that is, is that any business you look at, if you're trying to actually try to be at 100% capacity in terms of success, in terms of your lead gen, in terms of your marketing, in terms of your sales, in terms of your clients, in terms of this, then you really actually have a very... Uh, a business that's probably going to go bankrupt. And then one of the things we talk about the idea very simply from a business at its core level, and this is people that are going from like maybe zero to 10 million is simply this is that can you actually be performing at like 40 to 50%, whether you're calling utilization or whether you call it efficiency and still be successful. And the reason why I love to actually try to help businesses get to that type of leadership route is that it takes away two things from your staff. Number one, when they feel like they have to be perfect in their job, they often tend to actually have more sick days. They tend to actually perform a lot less. And quite frankly, you tend to have a higher turnover rate. And if you're going to actually build a, a sustainable, high-performing team, you need a team that wants to show up. So having a standard of perfection being the standard is actually, I think, a detriment to ultimately the organizational's long-term goal. And then the second thing actually is, is that when you actually are planning at 40 to 50% success rate, it actually gives you opportunities for growth. Meaning that when people feel like, hey, I can do that and I can achieve that. What they ultimately do is it creates that positive reinforcement to actually for them to succeed beyond that 40 to 50% success rate. So how do you actually change the capacity of your organization? I feel like as follows, and it very comes back to what you and I have spoken about, you know, what's the main job of a founder, a CEO, and there's really three jobs. It's how do you grow a business? How do you cut your expenses? And how do you secure the business and protect the business? So whether you're starting out and it's just you or you have a team of 50 or 100 right now, ask yourself this is, what are the things you can actually do to make growing a lot either A, easier or much more effective? And then finally, B, what are those expenses and those things that quite frankly are a waste right now there? Generally speaking, most, most times you can actually find something in there that's actually going to reduce your ability to have to fulfill this major capacity to actually succeed in business. One of the things that I always advise companies to, to make sure is that they understand the difference between 
an investment and an expense. And the way I say it's actually really simple. Investments have an ROI. Expenses don't. Mm. And so if you're going to look at marketing, for example, especially when we head into a recession, that's almost one of the first things people look at cutting. But if you look at the history of companies throughout history, uh, the ones that continue to grow are the ones that during a recession actually invested in marketing because they know that there's an ROI. So they're showing up even when the business isn't necessarily there, but they're showing up, reinforcing their brand. And as you know, we come out of a recession, because it's always cyclical, we never just stay in a recession forever. When we do come out of it, the ones that have been marketing the most and really getting their brand out there are the ones that just get propelled mm -hmm. to the top of the chain there. And, uh, and they grow significantly <laughs> faster. And this is actually, it's textbook business school stuff that uh, has been proven out through data over time. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think that's uh, one of the key things that people should look at is always make sure that cut expenses, but don't cut investments because <laughs> yeah. the investments will actually get you more money than you're investing. Yeah, we have the saying and we say leads appreciate over time. And so if you're not in some sort of lead generation or recruitment generation or talent generation, I mean, that is, that, that's, I get it, it's energy and energy is gonna come in the form of, you know, your time, other people's time and or quite frankly money you know at some point if you can continue to invest in it like you said it does pay off ultimately there and quite frankly it gives you an unfair competitive advantage i mean there's a reason i mean listen i mean we all know about coca-cola and nike you know we all have heard the stories there you know why are they continuing to pump billions and billions and billions of dollars in commercials when people know who they are well quite frankly mm -hmm. they want to own that space they want to continue to own that mental real estate space in all these consumers mind there so it just doesn't stop you have to find a way to continue like you said that asset building even in a recession like this yeah so a small business owner wants to start growing their business you know they're leading perhaps a team for the first time uh, maybe they've been an expert inside another person's company but then you know it's really a big difference when you are responsible for payroll oh my goodness that is a big big like thing you sweat over every single you know pay period got to make sure that you've got enough cash in the bank mm -hmm. and if you don't you're the one that takes the hit. You 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 always pay your staff first before you uh, you pay yourself. Um, at least the companies that survive do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would say. And so you know obstacles being uh, you know cutting expenses, uh, other things that people may be able to do. Um, other things that people should just watch out for. What you know like what uh, what are some of the things that might just you know the cliche keep them up at night uh, that they haven't thought of. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, you know, it always breaks my heart, the the businesses that are, um, you know, they, how many of these businesses were to take out of the HELOC just to, you know, pay their staff's bills. And, and you know, they're, you know, I, my, my hope when they, you know, when they get in our program is like, yes, of course, you would love to sit here and have 12 months of savings and 12 months of covered in the business there, but not everybody's like that. So one of the things I always say is, is that, you know, what actually I think damages the business long term is quite frankly is do you actually have that one skill that is actually going to grow the business almost at any time and we can talk about sales we can talk about you know your product or your program and stuff like that but just understanding what exactly that is and making sure you're investing in that piece of the business because at the end of the day there is some we call it your you know obviously I work with a lot of service-based businesses so we call it your gift for growth very simply what is that one thing that people are actually buying if you started getting rid of everything else in the business whether it's you whether it's something in your team but at the end of the day how are you making sure that gift for growth 
growth or, you know, for some of you, your product, how is that making sure you're getting out there? Um, I, I want to make sure you protect that. That's the first thing I always tell about a business there, because it doesn't matter what you end up paying for your team and paying for these, all the structures, you got to make sure you're continuing to invest in that there. I think that's the first thing and protect that asset there. The second thing that I actually, <laughs> this is the, maybe a counterintuitive that most people businesses there, but I'm actually a very big believer in making sure that you start as small as possible in terms of your team so that you actually are paying yourself first. Now, I know we all want to grow. We all want to get big real fast. I, I know, we see the, you know we see the Inc. 5000 list and they, you know, they grow by like 15 or 2000 or 5000 percent. And it really looks sexy. It looks great. Mm -hmm. It looks good in the Forbes magazine. But I'm telling you, that is not what a successful business looks like. And most of the times, what actually a successful business looks like is what you do. they're never going to share with you, which is the profit loss statement, which is the cash flow statement and what's the balance sheet. And quite frankly, I think most business owners need to be focused much more on their cash flow statements as opposed to all the other accolades. I think sometimes what it's ego, whether it's because of accolades, whether it's because of what um, somebody else is doing, that comparison analysis. So a lot of times I think people, if you'd ra I'd rather you grow a lot slower, but be sustainable as opposed to try to be the flashiest flame and try to go faster. And I think that's where most people end up getting themselves in trouble. Cash is king. Cash is king. You got to watch that the balance sheet. And mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of companies get in trouble with that too. Mm -hmm. um, there's one other side of business and that's something that, um, is always, I think, a little scary. And that's the thing that you don't know is going to happen next Tuesday afternoon. Yep. And that is the one thing that could just put you out of business. And then <clears> it <throat> happens. And then you're like, oh my goodness, how am I going to feed my family if something really just like take it just knocks my business out? Mm -hmm. Um, what are some of the things that that people can do to hedge their bets yeah. uh, to reduce risk? Because risk is a managing risk is a big part of, of leadership. Yeah. The most people that feel like getting the business and Raj, you probably know this. I mean, I, you know, we hear about this all the time, you know, and, and I'm not sure exactly where you your stance on this. And people talk to you, have your exit strategy at the beginning. I'm like, are you thinking about like it as an asset? You know, I think people come into it from so many different, you know, reasons, right? You know, some people get fired from their jobs. And so this is the time to start a business. Some people, you know, they have that they've been a consultant. I mean, there's so many different reasons, but I, I do think it goes back to one of the first things. And again, I know it's counterintuitive and you've got it. Like you said, when you have a great team member, you figure out a way to keep that team member and that team person inside of your business there. But when you get a dollar, what are you doing with that dollar as soon as it comes inside the business there? And that's why I always go back to this idea of capacity. If you need every single, that whole entire dollar that that person's paying you, whether it's $100,000 or $10 to actually run the business, then we need to actually first and foremost work on exactly how you're actually operating that business on the back end because that dollar does need to go back into something that's going to take care of you, take care of your family, take care of the future, whatever that ultimately looks like. Um, making sure you're putting it into some sort of investment vehicle. And I don't mean investment vehicles like 401k stock options, but quite simply something that actually is an asset that you either can take a loan off of or quite frankly is there for the rainy days. I mean, everyone can do that if they want. In fact, I just 
um, we have uh, we have our startup community area, and you're, you're talking about these questions, and you know some of them are you know they're 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 basically consultants, and they're making five thousand dollars, and I know it seems like such a little, but you know this is where the tough questions get to ask. There, you're like, listen, I get it, it's not a lot of money. I know it feels like that paycheck to paycheck, but the question is this: is like, where are you going to make that sacrifice right now at this stage in your business? Are you going to get maybe a cheaper apartment? You know, they're single. You can get a cheaper apartment, you know, little live way more frugally. So that five thousand dollar that comes in, you can put five hundred dollars away or three hundred dollars away or one hundred dollars away, but kind of starting to get into those habits of saying, like, not every dollar should go back into my, you know, meals and shelter for the day or to right back into the business, but simply to protect me in the future for that rainy day because like we all got hit by COVID. Everybody got hit by COVID in some form or fashion there, and nobody knew it was coming. And you know, it breaks my heart to see so many of my friends who had restaurants in this area have to mm. shut down their restaurants. But I also had friends whose restaurants are now thriving because they were able to manage that and protect themselves from that that moment. So they even they didn't know it was coming. They knew something was going to come, and I think that's the most important thing. Something's going to come. Something's going to knock you on your butt and you have no idea what it is, but you got to be ready both from a fortitude and resiliency perspective. And you also got to be ready from simply a living perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. And I think uh, from um, you know the perspective of consultants who are either independent consultants listening or uh, perhaps ones that run agencies and have a pool of consultants that you hire out, I think it's really important to make sure you've got a diversified client base. <laughs> Um, one of the questions, and maybe you were asked this also when you sold your company, um, I was asked this for every single one of mine, is what percentage of your revenue comes from your top 10 clients? Mm -hmm. And the reason they ask that is they're trying to assess the risk to uh, losing a handful of those clients because yep. they know not everybody's going to transition yep. over when the buyer takes over the company. So they want to know what's that risk. And if your business is 60% to clients, you're in a really risky yeah. spot because companies get bought. I've had situations where we've had a client paying us 10 grand a month. They get bought out. New owner doesn't want to use us because they've already got someone they've been using for 10 years. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, we just lost a nice chunk of room. So it's always important to have a diversified income stream. So I think that's one big key thing big to leadership. One. Uh, yeah, I love that one because I know there's this um, a, a mentor of mine and a coach of mine. I was in a strategic coach and Dan Sullivan, you know, he talks about the 80-20 rule. But if you actually go the 80-20 rule of the 80%, I think it goes down to 4, 64, meaning 4%, you know, is adding 64% in your business for most businesses. And that's that's a scary proposition for most yeah. people there. Um, and it's one of the reasons, I, you know, a lot. Of, I mean, that was one of the bigger reasons that we changed our model. Um, I, I'm not a big believer in one-on-one -on -one work. You'll hear me say that all the time. I'm a big believer in leverageable work. Because quite frankly, most people need a lot less time and simply more results, which you can do for them. I'm also a big believer in, quite frankly, having a, you know, not trying to charge the maximum amount, but simply charge about 10 to 20% of what they would have actually paid for the program or what you're actually selling. Because at the end of the day, they actually stay a whole lot longer. You can actually set up longer payment plans with them. And I think also, like you said, it's going to be a lot easier to sign up your clients there and not rely on like you said the top four top three yeah yeah well alex thank you for sharing your insights with uh with our audience about leadership you know you you are born to lead i love that line how can uh, people get a hold of you 
I well, I love what you're doing, Raj. And so I'll make it simple for everybody. If you go to bornleaders.com and if you say forward slash Raj, R-A-J, yeah. we actually have what we call our leader operating system assessment. And I always says, mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, it's very simple. You know you were born to lead. You're doing it right now. But the question is this. How do you make it a whole lot easier in terms of how you're supposed to lead your organization? Because, you know, no matter what you're selling, even if it's the same as somebody else, you're going to lead your clients. You're going to lead your team. You're going to do it differently. So having a very clear expectation and clarity on how not only you lead best, but more importantly, how you should design your organization, it's incredible the difference that will make for you, not just in the two weeks, but simply in the long term. So if you go again, bornleaders.com slash Raj, I will definitely give you that assessment and it's an absolutely free and potentially you get to talk to one of my team members. You will probably talk to Kiana. She is freaking phenomenal. That's that is great. And it's really something that's going to be useful for people as they start to grow their businesses. Alex, thank you again and hope to hope to connect with you soon at a future podcast. Now you're great. I appreciate you.